Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 2. I'm going to have three, three sections of Scripture I'm going to read from today. As we are gathered here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I'm going to begin in John's Gospel, John chapter 2. And the account I'm going to read to you actually took place about three years before the crucifixion, the death, and subsequent resurrection of Jesus. So let's begin. John chapter 2, verse 13. And then after that, I'm going to read from John chapter 20. We're going to read a traditional account, John's account of the resurrection. Then I'm, then I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Say, man, that's a lot of reading, Pastor Jeff. Yes, it is. But it's all good because it's the word of God. John chapter 2, verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Now don't get confused. Last weekend was Palm Sunday. And we read the account of Jesus cleansing the temple just before he was crucified. This is Jesus cleansing the temple three years before he is crucified. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then the disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered. And he said this to them. I'm sorry. His disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now. Oh, now when the. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Now let's turn over to John chapter 20. So that was three years before the crucifixion of Christ at the Passover. John chapter 20 is the account in John's gospel of the resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And when the other disciples who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. 
Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Now let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, commonly called the resurrection chapter, because Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present time, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the good news. We thank you for this day that we have set aside as a special day to remember, to mark your resurrection, 
But help us, Father, as a church, help us as your people to not minimize the resurrection to one day a year, but help us to live conscious of it. Help us to live each and every day realizing that the power of resurrection works in us and works through us for your glory every single day. And you have given to us that power and that resurrection life, not for a moment, not for a lifetime on this earth, but for all eternity by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. May you be glorified in your church. and May your church, may your church bring glory and honor your name as she obeys your commands to make your gospel known to this world. Amen. All right, so let's go back to John chapter 2. Now, I began in John chapter 2, three years before the resurrection of Jesus, because I think it's important for us, and we're talking about the resurrection, but remember, there is not a resurrection without a death. So today is Resurrection Sunday. We know Jesus was raised up on a Sunday because he was crucified on Passover. He was buried, and he was raised up on first fruits. We know that it was the first day of the week. We just read that. On the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb carrying spices to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial because when he was crucified on the Passover, the Sabbath approached and they did not have time to do the work of preparing his body because they would have violated the law. So they put him in the tomb knowing that they would go back later to finish the preparation. So the ladies are going back early that morning. The Bible says it was the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Contrary to what many people today believe, Monday is not the first day of the week. I will not buy a calendar that has Monday as the first day of the week because Monday is not the first day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. Regardless, it does not matter what the world says, what the world believes, what the world wants you to think. Sunday, today, is the first day of the week, and Jesus was resurrected, the Bible says, on the first day of the week. That's why we know Sunday was the day he was resurrected. It's why the church began to worship regularly on Sunday. The early church met on what was called the Lord's Day. It was called the Lord's Day because it was the day of his resurrection. And so here in John chapter 2, at Passover, Jesus goes into the temple and he begins to drive out the money changers and cleanse the temple. Now what we're talking about today is resurrection, but specifically we're talking about the authority of the risen Christ. The authority of the risen Christ. And the resurrection declares, makes known his authority. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what the greatest skeptic believes or does not believe. It does not diminish his authority. It does not diminish what he has done. Three years before his crucifixion, Jesus demonstrates his authority when he comes into the temple at the time of Passover and cleanses it and at the very same time foretells his resurrection. So when Jesus goes into the temple, he makes a huge mess. He turns over, the Bible says, the tables of the money changers, which means their money went everywhere. You think they were happy? They were not happy. Remember, we talked about this last week, the Religious leaders of Jesus' day had allowed the money changers and the buyers and sellers of animals necessary for sacrifice in, in the temple to overtake, to overrun the court of the Gentiles, pushing the Gentiles out and not leaving a sanctified, dedicated space for the Gentiles to be able to come and pray. And at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, before his crucifixion recorded for us in the Gospels, we see Jesus come back to the temple after his triumphal entry, 
and he runs the money changers and the buyers and sellers of animals out again. And he reaffirms that my father's house is a house of prayer for all nations. And so when Jesus comes in now, three years before his crucifixion and his resurrection, at the very beginning of his earthly ministry, and he runs them out with whips, and he turns over these tables and makes a huge mess. The authorities in the temple, the religious leaders of his day, come to him and say, by whose authority, by what authority do you do this? Now, that might not mean much to you and I today. That might not mean a lot to you and to me as we hear those words, but, but the reality is, those religious leaders understood that that act of Jesus was an act of authority. He wasn't a terrorist. He wasn't out of control. He went in as one in authority, and he took authority, and he did these things, and they wanted to know, by whose authority do you do this? And the implication of that question is this. Who are you, and who are you claiming to be? Because they understood that there was only one who really had the authority to do that. And that would have been the Messiah. And to make claims as Jesus made. And they wanted to know, who are you? And by whose authority do you do this? And the answer of Jesus was this. And he said to those, take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. Verse 18, so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to him, destroy this temple in three, and in three days I will raise it up. And they scoffed at him. But the scripture right there says that Jesus spoke not of that physical temple, but he spoke of his body. Many believed, it says, in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But look what it says. So Jesus is there. He drives them out. He begins to heal. He begins to do these things that were signs of the Messiah. And it says many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. It's one thing to believe are you listening? It's one thing to believe because we see what he does. It is another thing to believe because of who he is. This was true throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus. People followed him and believed in him because of the things that they saw him do. People are still doing that today. And there are people who will not believe in him because of things they cannot see him do. Or things that he will not do that they want him to do. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. Why? For he knew what man, he knew what was in man. Well, what was in man? What is in man that Jesus knew was there that gave him pause to commit to them? Well, I'll tell you what's in man. Sin is in man. And man is in sin. Man is bound and enslaved by sin. And this is why Jesus came. To destroy the works of the devil. To save his people from sin. And to exercise his complete authority in heaven and on earth. His resurrection from the dead proves that he has destroyed the works of the devil. That he has conquered sin and death. And that he is reigning with all authority as Lord of all. Jesus is not waiting to come back to earth to reign as Lord of all. The Bible teaches clearly from the Old Testament to the New that once Jesus came, his reign and his rule began. And Jesus is not waiting to come and reign. He is reigning right now. His resurrection affirms that reign. His resurrection affirms his authority. The fact that he is risen declares his authority. 
So before Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins, when he began his earthly ministry after being baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, at that first Passover of his earthly ministry, Jesus goes into the temple and he exercises, he demonstrates his authority as the Lord of all, as the true Messiah. And he foretold, he prophesied his resurrection and the men of his day, the rulers of his day, scoffed at him because they did not hear his words they did not understand his words and they did not know and they rejected who he claimed to be now we go to john's gospel chapter 20 and in chapter 20 we have the account of the resurrection on the first day of the week the ladies the women go to the tomb they get to the tomb, the stone has been rolled away, and he is not there. And they go back and they tell the guys, but the guys don't believe them. Finally, the guys go, and in this account in John's gospel, it is John writing this, but he writes it not in the first person. He doesn't say, I ran ahead of Peter. He says, that other disciple, he ran ahead of Peter and got there first. He's talking about himself. But John doesn't go into the tomb, but Peter gets there, and Peter just goes right into the tomb, and he finds the linen uh, garment that Jesus was, was wrapped in. He finds the napkin that had covered his face, folded separately, but Jesus is not there. John goes in, and he sees, and then he believes. But Jesus is not there. And Peter and John run back to the other disciples. But Mary is left, and she is wondering what has happened to Jesus. This is really an amazing account. God wrote his word the way he wrote it on purpose. God did not write, the Bible the way a man would write the Bible. People tell me this quite frequently. Well, I don't believe in the Bible because I think it's just a bunch of guys who wrote it. I, I don't know why people very often feel compelled to throw in. I think they all sat around a fire getting stoned and they just wrote the Bible. I don't, I don't know where that narrative came from, but I hear that really a lot. And there's nothing farther from the truth. The Bible was not written all at once. The Bible was written over centuries by many, many, many different people. And there are thousands upon thousands of written manuscripts, copied manuscripts that span the centuries, span different geographic regions of the earth. And people have studied those in minute detail, trying to not learn the Bible, but trying to disprove the Bible. And guess what they haven't been able to do? They can't do it because the evidence doesn't support it. The evidence supports that this is the word of God. And in his resurrection, Jesus demonstrates his power and authority by showing himself first to the women. It may not seem like a big deal to you, to us today, but it was a big deal in Jesus' day. The authority of Christ extends to the most powerless and vulnerable and disenfranchised among us. This is the hope of resurrection. Listen, we live in a world today where we're empowered with information. We can get on social media and we can, we can see news live as it's happening. And, and information and knowledge spreads and multiplies exponentially across our globe. And knowledge is power. You've ever heard that? That's the uh, slogan of WOAI in San Antonio. Knowledge is power. Didn't originate with them. But that's true. Knowledge is power. But the more knowledge we get, and the more power we have to gain access to information, we also see that there are people who are really powerful. There are people who really control and manipulate information. They control and manipulate people. 
And for some, all of that information and all that knowledge can be empowering, but for others, it's intimidating and it's discouraging and it's depressing. I think the reason we have more depression today, more, more of that is happening in our population is because we have access to so much more information and quite frankly, a lot of people don't know how to handle that information. And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, you won't know how to handle that information either. Because it may appear as though those rulers and those powers that be are controlling and manipulating everything and we're just a bunch of pawns and we're just a bunch of puppets being used by them. People tell me that a lot too. I hear that quite frequently as well. But if we read the scripture, and this is why we purposefully go through the scripture here at Christ Fellowship Church, it's why we went through the Psalms last year, it's why we just went through the Proverbs on Wednesday night, we'll just go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Because if you don't have a view of life, if you don't have a worldview that's, that, is, that is set by the truth of scripture, you're going you're gonna to be in a lot of trouble. You're going to be prone to becoming discouraged or very, very angry. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29, Paul writes, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. When God has a military parade, it looks very different than one that you might see in Russia, or China, or North Korea, or even in America. God doesn't put his most powerful, shiniest armor on view. He doesn't put his most powerful tanks, and trucks, and jet airplanes because that's not what God uses to fight his wars. The Bible says God takes the weakest among us. He takes the base among us. He takes the things that look like they are foolishness to the world. He takes those things to confound the wise, to bring to nothing the mighty. He uses people like me. And he uses people like you. To conduct his spiritual warfare in the world. Now, and that's not a... That's not a you know, that's not a slight against you. I can slight myself if I want to, but I'm not trying to slight you. But what I'm saying is, none of us here are so mighty and so powerful that we could just, we could just wag our finger and make all the ills of the world go away. We might have the power to control and manipulate those around us in our immediate lives, but we have no power to control and manipulate world events and and, and, and the things that are happening that are on the news every day, we have no power to do that in and of ourselves. But yet the Bible says we do have power. We do have authority. And that power and that authority resides in Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus Christ has power and authority because he overcame death. Because he conquered sin. Because he was laid in the grave, but he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again. And he ascended to the Father, and the Father gave to him a kingdom. And the Bible says it's a kingdom that will never, ever pass away. And the increase of that kingdom will not end. It doesn't matter what the news media says or the newspaper writes. The scripture has already declared it. The question is, do you believe God's word? In showing himself first to the women, Mary Magdalene, whom the Bible says Jesus cast multiple demons out of, this is who Jesus showed himself to first. Jesus did not make a cultural or a political power move. Instead, he did a most counterintuitive thing. He showed himself first, not to the most powerful, but the most vulnerable. What I would be tempted to do is to go back to Pilate. Say, ah, you thought you got rid of me. Or to go back to the high priest 
or go back to the rulers of the day and show them, here I am. I'm the one with all the power. But that's not what Jesus did. He did exactly what humanity would not do. He didn't go to the most powerful. He went to the most vulnerable. He went to the one who was the least credible as a witness. Do you realize that in Jesus' day, the, wit the, the testimony of women didn't count? If men were going to write the Bible, they would not have written that Jesus showed himself first to the women. Because that's not the way to get people to believe your story. But God, remember, we just read this. Jesus said he didn't commit himself to them because he wasn't looking for the approval of man. He didn't really care what man thought. He was here to do his father's will. That's what he cared about, was the will of his father. So Jesus was aware of the cultural norms. He was aware of what people would think, what people would believe, what they would not believe. It didn't matter to him. You know why it didn't matter? Because he was and is the Lord of all. He is the resurrected Lord. Jesus wasn't in this for the momentary gratification of proving he was right and everybody else was wrong. Jesus is in this for the long game. Jesus is playing an eternal game. That is what the Bible tells us we too should be playing. That we shouldn't be looking for instant gratification, trying to prove and, and make excuses for God so that, no, we're to be living our lives, making our decisions, doing what we do, looking ahead with an eternal perspective. If we do that, it changes the way we think about a lot of things, and it changes the way we do a lot of things. It's like having these babies in here. We have these babies in here because we have an eternal perspective. We're thinking beyond the momentary disruption or the momentary inconvenience to the reality that these children will grow up intergenerationally in worship, understanding, learning, and knowing what it means to be a worshiper of God, a child of God. Because we want them to grow up, get married, have children, and do the same with their children. It's how you and I have gotten here today. The church has been faithful. And in that faithfulness, here we are 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus. When 2,000 years ago, no one except Jesus and his father could have even foreseen that we would exist. So Jesus is not trying to prove himself to anyone. He knows who he is. He knows the authority that he's been given. Jesus walked in that authority. Jesus now rules with all authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus has given his name with his authority to his church. We are not commanded to prove anything for Jesus. We are commanded to make him known. We are commanded to declare his gospel and command the world. We're not Jesus didn't tell us to go out and invite the world to believe. I know that's what the church thinks today. Jesus commanded us to go and command the world to believe. It's not about them believing us. It's about them believing him. We're messengers of the king. All we're doing is giving the message of the king to the world. And the king's message is, I command you to believe in me. So we are commanded to declare his gospel. We are command to command the world to believe in his name. For he is the glorious and resurrected Lord of all. This is who we are commanding the world to believe in. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Here is the promise. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So Jesus, in his resurrection, does the most unexpected thing. He shows himself, not to the most powerful, but to the most vulnerable and the most disenfranchised among humanity in that day. 
And he still does that today. And this is how he conquers the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now we're post-resurrection. We started pre-resurrection, three years before the crucifixion of Jesus. We read the account of Jesus' resurrection. He appears first to the women. Now we come to Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Paul is writing to the church. Paul, this persecutor of the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul begins like this. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved. If you hold fast that word preached to you, unless you believe in vain. The gospel is the word we are commanded to preach. Paul says, I declare to you that which I received. I declare the gospel. That gospel I preach, that gospel you received, that gospel in which you stand, that gospel by which you are saved. That little caveat at the end there, if you hold fast that word preached to you unless you believed in vain, is not to give you uncertainty about your salvation. Because the Bible is clear in all of its writing that God has recorded his word, written his word, so that you can know the hope you have in Jesus. And the hope you have in Jesus is an eternal hope. Well, why would Paul put, if you hold fast that word preached to you, unless you believed in vain? Because the gospel is not proof of our salvation. Our faith is. How do you know you're saved? Are you trusting in Jesus? If you're trusting in Jesus, you are saved. How do you know you're going to be saved tomorrow? Well, when tomorrow gets here, are you trusting in Jesus? If you're trusting in Jesus, you're saved. Well, what happens if there comes a day when I'm not trusting in Jesus anymore? You better repent. And you better ask him to give you trust. What happens if I reach a point in my life and I just stop trusting in Jesus? And I get to the end of my life and I say something like, you know, I used to believe in God, but then I realized that was all just a big fantasy and I came to my senses. Well, you've not held fast to the word that was preached. And whatever faith you claim to have before, the Bible says it was in vain. This isn't a warning that you could lose your salvation. This is a promise that if you continue believing in Jesus, you have the assurance of salvation. But if you stop trusting in Jesus, you should be worried. If you're not trusting in Jesus right now, you should be concerned. The gospel is what I'm preaching to you. The gospel is what I read to you. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. But the gospel is not proof of your salvation. Your faith in the subject of the gospel, who is Christ. Your faith in Christ is proof of your salvation. Paul writes, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Paul delivered the gospel he received, witnessed by the scripture. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. Now what scripture did Paul have? He didn't have your New Testament. The early church didn't have your New Testament. When Jesus walked the earth, there was not a New Testament. There was the Scripture, what we call the Old Testament Scriptures. And the Old Testament Scriptures have testified of and to Jesus since the very beginning. The first explicit reference of Jesus in the Bible, though it's not the first reference of Jesus in the Bible, Actually, I have to change what I'm fixing to say. I think the very first explicit reference was when God is talking amongst himself, and he said, let us make man in our image. The us is not the angels. 
The us is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the person of the Godhead who all things were created by and for and through. And in Genesis 3.15, when God is pronouncing judgment, he says the seed of the woman will come and crush the serpent's head. Who is the seed of the woman? That is Jesus Christ. Paul says the scriptures give testimony, give witness to the resurrection of Jesus. They foretell of his resurrection. He delivered the gospel of a resurrected Christ witnessed by the brethren that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter. He was seen by Peter and by the twelve. He was seen by over 500. Many of them, he said, you're still alive today. You saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And by all the apostles. And then finally, Paul declares, and he was seen by me as one born out of season. Paul declared, I am what I am by the grace of God. You and I can declare the same thing. We are what we are by the grace of God. If you are saved today, you are saved by the grace of God. If you know your hope and your trust is in Jesus, it is by the grace of God. We received the gospel by the grace of God. We took hold of it. The gospel took hold of us. So we preach and so you believed, Paul says. So we preach and so you believe. That's what I say. This is why we preach week in and week out. Because through the preaching of the gospel, God has ordained that men would be saved. It is the grace of God through the preaching of the gospel that brings us to believe, to trust in Jesus Christ. Paul writes, if Christ is not risen, if there is no resurrection, if we just die and we're laid in a tomb and that's it, if Christ is not risen, then your faith is empty. It's hollow. It's meaningless. It holds no value Forget believing in good principles so that we can have a better quality of life. That's what humanists say. Humanists are atheists who say we should embrace good principles of life. If you want to call it Christianity, that's fine. If you want to call it Buddhism, that's fine. If you want to call it Hinduism, that's fine. All paths lead to God if you believe in a God. That's fine. If those things help you live a better life, if they make our society better, then we'll tolerate your belief in religion. But everybody knows there is no God. Everybody knows we evolved. Everybody knows that we are a product of science. I don't know who invented science, but that we're a product of it, right? We're a product of evolution. Just from a single spark of life, all of this diversity just accidentally happened. I mean, you really don't believe somebody made those chairs you're sitting on, right? They just evolved from petroleum products and steel they, they somehow came out of the ground and formed where you're sitting and there they are for you to take advantage of now, you don't believe that yet the blade of grass the the flowers you'll smell today when you go home and and, and see your easter lilies or whatever it is those those pieces of organic material are infinitely more complex than anything in this room except you Anything man can create, anything man can make is infinitely less complex than what God has created. And yet, we want to pretend as though this all just happened by accident. Well, if there is no resurrection, if Christ is not risen, we might as well believe that. Because that's about as futile as it gets. If, there, if Christ is not risen, your faith has no effect. You are still in your sins. If Christ is not risen, then his death was in vain. It accomplished nothing. It produced nothing if he is not risen. But now, Paul writes, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits means there's more to come. He's the first fruits. You are the fruits that follow. 
in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. That's not universal salvation. That's salvation by grace through faith. In Adam all die. How did you come to be in Adam? The moment you came out of your mother's womb, born a natural birth, you were born of your father Adam. And you were born in sin and death. Well, how do you come to be in Christ? Well, Jesus said it in John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Forget trying to enter it. You're not even going to see it until you've been born again. Because until you're born again, you don't have eyes to see it. You don't have ears to hear it. But everyone who is born again, everyone who is in Christ, shall be made alive, shall be raised up. All who are in Christ, by grace, through faith, shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians says, We who are alive and remain shall not precede those who have fallen asleep, but the death shall rise first, and then we shall be caught up together with them in the air. And so we will be with the Lord always. That is the picture of Christ coming back to rule, to physically rule on this earth, and he will. And then Paul writes this, then comes the end. Look at this. Verse 24, then comes the end when he, when Christ delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority, for he must reign till he has put all enemies underfoot. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. The way we know Jesus is not on this earth ruling and reigning right now is because death is still among us. There are cults that believe Jesus came secretly in 1914, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They set so many dates and they didn't, they never came to pass. They finally just said, well, he came secretly. It was an unseen coming, but he's here. Nope, excuse me, he's not here. Because if he were here, Death would be underfoot. And Paul writes very clearly here to the church, and he says, lest you guys be mistaken and think there is no resurrection or think that something's happened that you don't know about, listen, the last enemy that will be put underfoot when Jesus comes back to this earth is death. Death will be underfoot. And when death is underfoot, you will know Jesus is reigning right here and right now. And that day is coming. All things have been placed under him. And Christ now reigns. And he reigns that God may be all and in all. We're going to get ready and come to the table. The resurrection demonstrates the authority of Christ. In his resurrection, Jesus has exercised his authority. He has demonstrated his power. He is ruling and reigning right now. All things have been placed under him. As the writer of Hebrews said, they've been placed under him, yet we don't see all things under him. All things are under his authority. Even death is under his authority, but he has not put death away yet. But death will be put away one day. Many believed in Jesus because of the signs that they saw. The question is, why do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus even when you don't see what you want to see? Do you trust in Jesus even when he does not answer your prayers the way you wish he would answer them? 
Do you trust in Jesus even when you see things and experience things that you cannot explain or understand? Things that even seem contrary to who God is? Like men and women of the Bible have experienced throughout recorded history. Our faith cannot be just in what we are able to see. Our faith must be in who he is. He is the resurrected Lord. He rules supreme. He will come again and he will rule one day. And you will rejoice and so will he if you are trusting in him. So church, Christian, as you trust in Jesus, I invite you to come to the table. Let's all stand. And take five seconds and look around you and discern the body of Christ. Doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter so many things that divide us. We are united in Jesus Christ. For all who trust in him, we are children of God members of his body. The resurrection of Christ has established his authority. His authority exists. His rule is enforced, whether men acknowledge it or not. His name is the name above all names, his power and his authority above all. Philippians 2, 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given to him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a day coming when all will bow, when all will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, willingly or not. We are commanded to command that men believe and so live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are messengers of the resurrected king. We are sent to declare his rule and to command men, male and female, young and old, great and small, to believe and to trust on the name of Jesus Christ. For there is no other name given under heaven by which man may be saved. He is risen. Go and tell the good news.